again this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for the chance that we have to be in your house. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts now today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray as I preach. Lord, I pray fill every person here with your Holy Spirit, that they would hear what you would have them to hear. Not hear my words, but hear from you. I pray that you get help us today. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Well, we've been working on the, through the topic of truth of forgiveness. And a couple of weeks ago, before Easter, we talked about, about some practical truths about forgiving someone and how to forgive. But there's more that I want to talk to you about this before we end the series. And for instance, what should we say when a person says, I just can't forgive? Or worse, I will not forgive. And these two questions are really different, really. If you refuse to forgive, it's a matter of the will. But sometimes the offense may be so grievous that we don't know how to forgive such a harsh thing. And it's quite different. Now, to get to the bottom of this, we need to look at Jesus' teachings. Amen? Look at what the Word of God says about this. If you are unwilling to forgive, there's a very serious warning that we need to heed. And first, we need to understand, first of all, letter Roman numeral 1, there is no limit to forgiveness. There is no limit to forgiveness. And Jesus speaks to the limits of forgiveness in Matthew 18 here. And like many others, through the years, the disciples question just how far forgiveness should go. And Peter is the one who speaks up as usual. And verse number 21, he said, Then Peter said to him, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? If someone sins against us, then ask for forgiveness. We understand that we ought to forgive, and so Peter understood this too. But Peter began to think, how long should this go on? I imagine Peter must have recognized that Jesus would have required a very large number, so it wasn't just two or three that he suggested. <laughs> and instead, he said, how about seven times? That's a pretty good big number. Is that good enough? Jesus answers in verse 22, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And Jesus, of course, is not saying that we need to count up to 490 times and then we're off the hook. No, Jesus is using hyperbole, an exaggerated statement or a claim that was not meant to be taken literally. Like, for instance, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. I'm not going to go out and eat a horse if I'm hungry, amen? Or how about this one? How many of you said this one? I told you a million times not to exaggerate. <laughs> no, it's a hyperbole. It's not, you don't literally mean it, right? No, he was just saying there is no limit to the number of times you're to forgive. But what about times that the offenses are really bad? I think Jesus anticipated this question, so he continued. And we see in Roman numeral 2, unlimited forgiveness illustrated. Jesus begins to tell a king, of a king who wished to clear his books of the debts that were owed him. One by one, debtors came before him to give an account and pay what was owed. One came before him who owed 10,000 talents. A denarius in a, a day, was a day's wage for a common workman. In today's world... At the federal minimum wage of $7.25, it's larger in Michigan, but at the federal minimum wage, it would be $58 in a day. In days of old, a denarius would buy 15 pounds of wheat. A talent is 6,000 denarii. 
or 20 years of daily wages for six-day work week. Today, one talent would be worth $348,000, which means that 10,000 talents will come to the equivalent of 200,000 years of labor or 60 million work days. It would be equivalent to $3.48 billion earned on minimum wage. Okay, let's picture this. We have three parts in this play, and I'm going to need some help today. We're going to look at this today. We have a king. He's rich. He has a lot of assets. He writes off major loan. He is definitely loaded. Okay? He can be kind, but he can also be stern. And we don't have any billionaire kings at our midst, I don't think, as far as I know. But let's see who should play this part. Uh, Dad, I'm going to ask you to do it. Come on up here and just stand right over here. He's going to be the king. Okay, so you stand right over here. All right, so he's a good king, right? So whenever we talk about the good king, everybody says, yay. Okay, you ready? Yay. Good. All right, active participation here. Good. <laughs> Secondly, we have the loser of the story. Uh, he's the bad guy, the one you don't want to like. Uh, he's not afraid to beg, and yet in an instant he turns around and was mean. He's a Weasley schemer. Again, we don't have anyone like this in our congregation, thank goodness. So let's just make do with what we have, and uh, let's see who can we have play this. Let's see, Carl, would you come up and be our weasel? I want you to stand right here in the middle. I don't know. I don't, as soon as you heard weasel, you said, that's me? <laughs> All right, face that way. Okay, come and stand right here in the middle. I know, you can't see me when you're so tall, so, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. All right, so he's the weasel. So everyone says, boo. Okay, you ready? Boo. Okay, good job. All right, then we have one last one. He's just an ordinary, hardworking guy who had some hard breaks, okay? Just an average Joe. Okay, let's see who should pray, play the average Joe. Let's see here. Uh, Gary, would you come on up? He's our average Joe, okay? You can stand right over here. All right, he was mistreated, okay? So everybody says, aww, good job. So we have the kings, everybody says? Yay. We have the weasel, everyone says? Yay. And we have the average Joe, everyone says? Good job. All right, so the weasel owes the king a huge amount of money, one that he could never pay back. Do you have $3.8 billion? Okay. Well, the king asked this man to come before him, so go before the king and settle his debts. So the weasel begs to be let go. He falls to his knees and begs for an extension. Just a little bit more time is what he wants, and as if that's going to do any good, right? But he promises to take care of this in full. Instead, the king looks at him and has compassion and picks him up and forgives his debt. And everyone says, yay, good job. So the weasel leaves the throne room. And on his way home, he sees a guy, the average Joe, who owes him a few bucks in comparison to what's going on. And according to a statement made at the feeding of the 5,000, we could guess that it was enough to feed 2,500 people. So it wasn't a small amount, but it was still small compared to three point whatever billion dollars. Amen. And according to a, uh, this statement, then we know that was it. But the Greek word denarion, which would come to 100 days of labor, 
in our, uh, would, in our time would come to close to about $5,000. Yeah, well, that's why you're trying to get it. Um, but in comparison, a very small amount, but still not something easy to come by. I don't have an extra $5,000 lying around. Do you, do you, Gary, have an extra $5,000? I was going to ask you if you could let me borrow it, but um, no, we don't have an extra $5,000 lying around. So the weasel has just finished dusting himself off from kneeling before the king and uh, being forgiven and sees the average Joe. The Bible says that the weasel laid hands on him and took him by the throat, he says, and said, pay me what you owe me. Everyone says, boo. The average Joe falls at the weasel's feet and begs for mercy. <laughs> Everyone says, aww. Well, he isn't asking for a handout, just for more time. But this weasel, who has been forgiven a $3.8 billion debt is completely, uh, that has been completely wiped away, doesn't have mercy, and throws him into prison. All right, very good. Everyone says, boo. Good. A fellow servant comes along, we didn't get this part, but a fellow servant comes along and saw what happens, and they're brokenhearted over what, what, what happened, and they went and told the king about what happened. And so the king calls the weasel to come before him. He says, you wicked, vile weasel, I forgave you $3.8 billion. You should have forgiven a measly $5,000. And you should have had the same compassion on him that I had on you. The king was so mad that he took him and turned him over to the tormentors until he could pay him back, which, by the way, he would never do, never be able to do. Thank you, gentlemen. You can have a seat. Let's give him a hand. Great acting skills. Your Oscars will be in the mail. But catch this. Jesus then makes a shocking statement. Matthew 18.35 says, I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can see it here. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. What a shocking statement. Now keep in mind that the context of the story here, Peter had asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive? And Jesus says, 70 times 7, an unlimited number of times. I'm sure this would have been impossible for the disciples to hear and obey. And to think an unlimited amount of times. I, I can't even fathom that. We grew up hearing that, and it becomes just part of Christianity. This is the first time these Jews, and with the law and the consequences and all of that, are hearing this, and they're hearing an unlimited number of times, and they're shocked. Had Jesus not used this illustration? Jesus cut to the heart of the matter. You have been forgiven so much more than what you are being asked to forgive. And you say, but I've never done anything like they have done. No, but you have been forgiven so much more in quantity in comparison. The Bible even tells us of secret sins or unknown sins in Psalm 19.12. He says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. We think we have it under control until we read that verse. There's not sins we don't even understand that we've done. The secret faults. Plus, we often make excuses for the sins we do know about. 
thinking that they're so much smaller than the sins of other people. But at least I don't... whatever. I don't know why people compare themselves to the worst of humanity. Well, I'm not Hitler. Well, thank goodness. Praise the Lord for that, I guess. Your bar is awfully high, awfully low. No, the truth is we owe a great debt that we could never pay. All sin is equal in the fact that we are falling short of the glory of God. Jesus said, adultery is the same as having lustful thoughts. Murder is the same as having hateful thoughts. Yes, they're different in our eyes, especially because how it affects other people around us. But sin is sin, Jesus is saying. James 2.10 tells us, in fact, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend it in one point, he is guilty of all. We cannot justify our sins, our wrongdoing, our need for forgiveness, and condemn those around us who need our forgiveness. Then we see number three, the cost of unforgiveness. Let's go back to the question we asked at the beginning. What should we say when a person says, I just can't forgive, or worse, I will not forgive? This isn't a theoretical question. Many are quite comfortable saying that they will not forgive. In a 1988 Gallup poll on forgiveness that showed that 94% of respondents said it's important to forgive. But only 48% said that they practice forgiveness. What about those other 46% who don't forgive, who don't practice forgiveness? Jesus said the unforgiving servant would be turned over to the tormentors. He said, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. (coughs) Excuse me. I think Jesus' point is clear. Those unwilling or unable to forgive should fear for their salvation. Does this mean that we'll lose our salvation? Absolutely not. You cannot lose by your own efforts what you did not gain by your own efforts. And we'll talk about more that more in a minute. But Jesus stressed the importance of forgiving others. After teaching the disciples how to pray, Jesus said in Matthew 6, for if, you forgive, uh, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, Matthew 7, 1 and 2, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. It ought to create us a trembling heart inside of us if we refuse to forgive. If you're saying, I I, I can't forgive or I will not forgive, you'd better look at your salvation more closely. What are we talking about? It's not salvation by works. No, we don't forgive so that we can be forgiven. That's not what we're talking about. He was teaching that people who have genuinely received grace 
are characterized by a willingness to give grace to others. Someone once said, holding apples in your hand does not make you an apple tree. But it is indeed characteristic of apple trees to bear apples. Forgiving people will not make you a Christian, but Christians do forgive. There have been many stories of remarkable forgiveness by Christians. Many people who have found themselves in situations that seem impossible to forgive, yet have found the grace to forgive. If you do not seem to have the grace to be able to forgive like you're commanded, you better check your own salvation. By the way, what does the Bible say? Many shall come to me in that day and say, I cast out devils, I've done all this work for you. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. There will be many people today that do not know the Lord. If you do not, do not have to seem to have the grace to forgive, perhaps you ought to look to see if you are receiving the grace, if you have received that grace. Have you truly given your heart to the Lord? Have you truly trusted in Christ as your Savior? Because if you do, God has promised His grace to forgive. Does this mean if we forgive, we will erase the possibility of consequences coming to those who have forgiven? No. We have covered this a few weeks ago. Forgiveness is a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. God does not Forgive, of, uh, forgive us of our sins and remove all natural consequences of sins. Someone who robs a bank then asks God for forgiveness does not to get to escape going to jail. Someone who has committed a crime should pay for that crime in our social system. But forgiveness is a choice to remove the moral liability from our end. We'll not seek their hurt Rather, that we'll seek their reconciliation, whatever that may look like. A beautiful story of remarkable for power to forgive is shown in the story of Jacob de Shazer and Mitsuo Fushida. To appreciate the story of Jacob de Shazer and Mitsuo Fushida, we need to reflect on the hatred between Japan and the United States during World War II. I was born well after World War II. So I never participated in the deep-rooted animosity between our two countries. I remember as a child in elementary school being fascinated by Japan after doing a Christmas project on Japan. And we dressed up in kimonos in the third grade, I think it was, and, uh, and saying, uh, we three kings in Japanese at a Christmas program. And we had sushi, which, by the way, we won't talk about. But anyways, uh, you know, something happened to my kimono after that. But anyways... Uh, you know, it was, it was, we, I was fascinated. In fact, I had a pen pal for a while after that in Japan. Found a missionary and asked for a pen pal, and we began to write back and forth all year that year. But in World War II, emotions were far different, and immediately after World War II as well. It's hard to describe the depths of the mutual hatred. About the war in the Pacific, historian Stephen Ambrose said, it was the worst war that ever was because the extent of the mutual hatred of the Japanese for the Americans and the Americans for the Japanese. 
the outrages they committed are surpassed only by the Holocaust. In the Pacific War, both Japanese and Americans did things to each other that are unspeakable. Nowhere was the deep hatred more evident than for those in the Japanese war, prisoner of war camps. Prisoners were starved and beaten. Their hands were crushed in vices. They were hung by their thumbs. They were buried alive. They were forced to work beyond what any of us could imagine. Japanese commanders ordered that under no circumstance should their prisoners survive. A typical order read like the one that was translated here. Whether they are destroyed individually or in groups, and whether it is accomplished by means of mass bombing, poisonous smoke, poisons, drownings, or decapitation, dispose of them as the situation dictates. It is the aim not to allow the escape of a single one to annihilate them all and not to leave any traces. Both Mitsuo Fushida and Jacob de Sager were in the thick of all of this mutual hostility. Fushida was the combat general officer who gave the final order to bomb Pearl Harbor. Years later, Fushida recounted, like a hurricane out of nowhere, my torpedo planes, dive bombers, and fighters struck suddenly with an indescribable fury. As smoke began to billow and the proud battleships one by one started tilting, my heart was almost ablaze with joy. It was the most thrilling exploit of my career. On the other side of the ocean at an army base in Oregon, Jacob de Caesar was on KP duty when he heard that Japan had bombed Pearl Harbor. In anger, he hurled a potato at the wall. And he said, Jab, just wait and see what we'll do to you. De Caesar took the first opportunity to fight against Japan. Four months after Pearl Harbor, he served on the crew of one of the bombers led by Jimmy Doolittle. When the plane was, uh, ran out of fuel, De Chaser was captured by the Japanese. He endured 40 horrific months as a prisoner of war. Some of his friends were executed instantly. The rest starved slowly. He hated the Japanese intensely. Anger ate away at the core of his being and finally due in part to the testimony of a Christian POW who had died, the Savior decided to turn to scriptures for an answer. The Savior wrote, I was gripped with a strange longing to examine the Christian's Bible to see if I could find the secret. I begged my captors to get a Bible for me and at last in the month of May 1944, a guard brought me the book but told me I could have it for only three weeks. I eagerly began to read its pages. Chapter after chapter gripped my heart. On June 8, 1944, the words in Romans 10:9 stood out boldly before my eyes. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In that very moment, God gave me grace to confess my sins to him. And he forgave me all my sins and saved me for Jesus' sake. Even as I later found that his word again promised so clearly, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He continues saying how my heart rejoiced in my newness of spiritual life. Even though my body was suffering so terribly from physical beatings and lack of food, 
But suddenly I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes. And that when I looked at the Japanese officers and guards who had starved and beaten me, my companions so cruelly, I found my bitter hatred for them changed to loving pity. Finally, on August 20th, 1945, parachutists dropped into the prison camp and freed the prisoners from their cells. DeShazer was nearly dead physically, but he was a new man spiritually. He returned to the United States and attended Bible college. His heart now overflowed with such love that he decided to become a missionary to Japan. DeShazer wrote out his story and distributed it in Japan. And one of the people who read it was Mitsuo Fushida, who was gripped by DeShazer's story. He wrote DeShazer's testimony was something I could not explain. Neither could I forget it. The peaceful motivation I had read about was exactly what I was seeking. Since the American had found it in the Bible, I decided to purchase one myself, despite my traditional Buddhist heritage. In the ensuing weeks, I read this book eagerly. I came to the climatic drama, the crucifixion. I read in Luke 23, 34, the prayer of Jesus Christ at His death, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I was impressed that I, I was certainly one of those for whom He had prayed. Many men I had killed had been slaughtered in the name of patriotism, for I did not understand the love which Christ wishes, wishes to implant within every heart. Right at that moment, he says, I seem to meet Jesus for the first time. I understood the meaning of his death as a substitute for my wickedness. And so in my prayer, I requested him to forgive my sins and change me from a bitter, disillusioned ex-pilot into a well-balanced Christian with purpose in living. That date, 18, April 14, 1950, became the second day to remember on my life. On that day, I became a new person. My complete view on life was changed by the intervention of the Christ I had always hated and ignored before. Were it not for Christ, hatred and bitterness would have consumed both Fushida and DeCesar. And yet they found love where hatred once ruled. This is the marks of a Christian. If you are one who says, I will not forgive, or I will, I cannot forgive, you need to look at your salvation. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It is not forgiving others that saves you, but it is the characteristic of those who are saved to forgive. Quacking doesn't make you a duck, but ducks do quack. Forgiving doesn't make you a Christian, but Christians do forgive. Whatever someone has done to you, whatever someone has done to me pales in comparison to the sum total of what I have done to offend God. 1 John chapter 2 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby do we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth His word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. He that saith he abideth in Him ought also so to walk, even as He walked. God has commanded us to forgive one another. What will you do now? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Father, this life is full of heartbreaking horrific events that happen to people. Almost every day we hear of something horrendous that has happened somewhere in this nation. Sometimes to someone we know or maybe even something to us. Something that outside of being in you, there's just no way we could survive it. And yet you have put in us the ability to act like you through your Holy Spirit. You have put in us the ability to forgive. If we will not be arrogant and stubborn and refuse to give the forgiveness that we have been given. Lord, I pray that you speak to the heart of every person in this room every heart of every person watching on live stream today. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to forgive as others have forgiven us. If we don't have the ability to do that, Father, may we look seriously at our forgiveness. Look seriously whether or not we are really your child because it is the characteristic of Christians to forgive. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in in our lives, Lord, and help us to freshly dedicate our lives to you and our hearts to you to say, Lord, I promise you I will forgive others as you have forgiven me. Father, if there's anything in our hearts today that stands between us and you and your Holy Spirit doing a work in our hearts and lives, may we seek your forgiveness right at this moment. We confess our sins. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, may we stand before you forgiven and clean and show forth that light to the lost world around us, the example of what it is to forgive and what it is to be forgiven. I pray that you would bless us today, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing a verse of Jesus.